1: I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. in New York, and here is your top five at five. A little pressure to end the week after the Dow does something for the first time since October. All sort of pressure. Intel, a weak fourth quarter and an even weaker outlook. Intel shares getting slammed. Intel not alone as the list of cautious companies continues to cast a cloud over tech and the consumer. One bright spot, Chevron. Monster news yesterday over the dividend and buyback as the company prepares to report in just over an hour. An artificial intelligence making waves in a very big way. From Capitol Hill to your favorite online quiz. We'll tell you about it on this Friday, January 27th. And this is... Worldwide exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome, as always, from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I'm Brian Sullivan. Happy Friday! Thank you very much for being with us. All right, let's jump right in with a look at your money, stock futures. Well, they are they're in the green this morning. Got a little green on the screen across. The, uh, you know what? I stand corrected. They were green like two seconds ago. Now they're down just a touch. Just kind of a warning at this hour, folks. Very thinly traded futures market. Dow. Down 31 right now, so again, less than one-tenth of 1%. Let's talk about the good news. We are in the middle of the Dow's first five-day win streak since October. It has been a big run to start the year. First five-day win streak all the way back into the fall. Also watching tech and the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ is trying for a four-week win streak and its best month since July. Now, the NASDAQ technically right on its 200-day moving average so there is a lot to watch right now but overall but a strong start to the year for stocks in bonds yields have ticked a little bit higher the 10-year at 3.53 percent right now price of oil also ticking higher we are back at 82 dollars per barrel price of gasoline it continues to rise but the price of natural gas it continues to fall and we are below three bucks per unit remember nat gas we were above nine dollars back in august we were at two dollars and 90 cents one of the biggest fastest declines in recent memory moderate weather here moderate weather overseas all contributing to an oversupply and lower costs in crypto bitcoin just a few bucks below twenty-three thousand, and ether sitting right about 15.79 this morning a little down for the close Well, not the close, doesn't close, but we'll call it yesterday's high. But still, crypto been on a nice run lately. All right, let's get a check on the overnight trade in Asia and in Europe, as most of their markets continue to rise as well. Look at that wall of green next to Arabili Gumede in London. Arabili, kind of maybe a nice way to end the week.
0: Yeah, so clearly... In the black, right, is how the markets are seemingly uh, trying to trade, really. A lot of green, really, is what we're getting across this board. Yes, there is a little bit of a twitch there with the IBEX 35 going down a little bit there. But overall, generally, you're getting a sense of just sitting above the flat line, really, across the European market. Very interesting to note the likes of H&M having come out uh, with them saying that they're looking at the operating profits, not necessarily helping markets somewhat. Falling 7% on the trading floor and really at the bottom of the European markets uh, overall then. So really stuttering along when it comes to that. We still have some other European, new, uh, rather retail news having come out. The likes of Sainsbury's uh, gaining a little bit as well today on the back of the likes of Best Buy Group having bought into their share price, uh, of their company a little bit as well, up increasing their stake. Very interestingly though, LVMH still very resilient in this market despite the consumer having suffered a little bit, but now the reopening of China certainly giving a little more optimism as well. So they're saying that things certainly look a whole lot better. And as you can see, it has portrayed itself in a slightly better move across the European market front. Even in Asia, we are seeing some positivity then across the board Uh, for most of these. Of course, not every market is indeed very open, considering the fact that we are still uh, celebrating the Lunar New Year, but the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, as well as the Nikkei, are in a positive territory. The nifty out in India is 1.6% weaker, with the ASX in Australia also sitting positive then today. As we said, LVMH being the one of key interest then as well, and that is the stock to focus on as China reopens.
1: All right, Billy, thank you very much. You have a great weekend. Appreciate it. All right, now to your top money story right now, and that is Intel. Intel stock getting slammed. It is down nearly 10% with another big warning in the tech sector. Pippa Stevens in this morning with more on Intel. Pippa, Good. ugly morning for <laughs> Intel.
2: Yeah, Brian, shares of Intel are sinking right now ahead of the open. The chip maker missing top and bottom line estimates for the fourth quarter in a very big way. Adjusted EPS coming in half of what was expected. And if that wasn't bad enough, things are even worse when it comes to guidance. For the current quarter, Intel now sees sales coming in between 10 and 11, Ten and a half to eleven and a half billion dollars. That's 21 percent below consensus of nearly 14 billion dollars, and worse than even the lowest estimate on the street, which was calling for 13.22 billion dollars. Call it a double whammy. And when it comes to earnings, Intel is projecting an adjusted Q1 loss of 15 cents a share, shocking when compared to the consensus which was a profit of 24 cents a share. Again, the lowest estimate on the street was for a profit of 11 cents. Catalysts, according to Intel, include macro uncertainty over rising rates, geopolitical tensions, COVID in China, elevated customer inventories, and the crypto crash. Here's CEO Pat Gelsinger on the earnings call last night.
3: In the PC market, we saw further deterioration as we ended calendar year 22. In Q3, we provided an estimate for the calendar year 23 PC consumption TAM of 270 to 295 million units. Given continued uncertainty and demand signals we see in Q1, we expect the lower end of that range is a more likely outcome.
2: The company says it will not provide sales outlook past the first quarter. Intel is currently the lowest priced stock in the Dow and down more than 40% in the past year alone. And we'll hear more from Intel's the CEO at 11 a.m. today on CNBC. Brian Mann, that stock getting crushed, down 10 percent.
1: That is going to be somewhat of an interview. 11 o'clock, a lot of questions. Pippa Stevens, we'll see you soon. Thank you very much. All right, Intel, not alone. It is just the latest in a growing list of companies issuing some very nervous outlooks lately. That includes 3M, Microsoft, Verizon, and more As the government stimulus wears off in the American economy, things look a little more troublesome overall. All this as investors gear up for another batch of earnings next week and the busiest week of earnings yet with 20 percent of the S&P 500 reporting. Let's talk about this and going forward with Kevin Caron. He is senior portfolio manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Kevin, good to see you back on. You've been a little more positive. you. You probably aren't as surprised as many have been. With this market strength, but like myself, like many are trying to figure out, I mean, what changed? We were December 31st. Things were weak. January 3rd. Things were strong.
4: What changed? Well, as you're seeing as you're seeing with the earnings there, it's not necessarily up, up and away. We still have some issues to work through. Our own our own indicators are still saying that there's a heightened chance of recession uh, but that being said, I think the thing that changed last year was a reset. So the environment today in the long run is better than it was, let's say, a year ago for investing. And the reason we say that is because multiples on stocks have come down as yields have risen. So for a portfolio of stocks and bonds, you're getting more yield and you're a better entry point for stocks. But the the, uh, the difficulty is in the here and now. So there are recessionary winds blowing. We're underweight equities in our tactical uh, positioning at Washington Crossing, our top-down work. And when you look at the earnings, it's starting to show up there. Every single sector, with the exception of consumer staples, has reported – reporting lower earnings or are on track for lower earnings for the fourth quarter than what was expected at the beginning of the year. So we still have some tough sledding, but for longer-term investors, we're in better shape.
1: Well, okay. Well, you're underweight now. Are you willing to, or ready to change that, Kevin? Given the recent strength, so uh, you know what? All right, things have been turned around. The money's flowing in. Let's switch our position.
4: Sure. So, so our tactical work has led us to be underweight uh, equities for most of the past year, uh, and we publish all of our work on the website at WashingtonCrossingAdvisors.com. But what we've what we've seen is that the the preponderance of data has been weak for most of the past year and directionally that has led us to be underweight stocks. Now, even though we're underweight stocks coming into the year, I will say that in the last month we did increase our equity allocation by the, uh, uh, the most, I think in, a, in at least six months or, or nine months, uh, but still maintaining an underweight position. So it's one of those things that maybe we're starting to make a turn Um, and that's why we increased our equity allocation from deeply underweight to just somewhat underweight. Uh, And we'll have to see where we go from here. Um, But clearly what we're seeing in the earnings is we're not through the other side of this yet.
1: Do you expect maybe not a retest of the lows, Kevin, but this strength to not last and maybe the markets to make a downturn heading into spring? Or are these the gains we've got for the whole year and we're going to flatline it for the next 11 months. Uh, well, it, it,
4: could be, it could be choppy and it, it, it could be volatile. I think uh, th- as a result, what you really need to do in the portfolio is just ask yourself one question. The vast majority of strategists out there are looking for a recession this year. So you want to ask yourself the following question. If I'm invested for the long term, where the returns I think actually will be better, is the portfolio set up in such a way that the companies are gonna be able to survive if things turn out worse than expected. So Washington Crossing and what we've done is focused on flexible, durable, predictable companies. And I think that's borne out uh, to be in the, you know, uh, the way to go when there's this kind of uncertainty in the world. So yeah, I, I think there's some positive momentum. We have increased our equity allocation somewhat, uh, but we're still focused on quality because the storm is still upon us. We're not out the other side yet. But valuations and yields starting out here are much better than where they were a year ago. Kevin
1: Caron, always love your points of view. Kevin, you have a great day and a good weekend. Thank you very much. You too, Brian. All right. When we come back, thank you very much. When we come back on this Friday, it is not just big tech. The hiring headwinds now bleeding into the consumer sector. We'll tell you how coming up. Plus, Chevron's monster stock buyback still not moving the needle for one analyst stuck on hold. Later, new year, new problems in China's supply chain. A check on the CNBC supply chain heat map coming up.
5: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life.
2: At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time.
1: Right, welcome back. Time now for some big money movers on this Friday. First up, Visa. Shares rising in earnings and revenue topping expectations. Earnings per share up 21% from a year earlier. Stock two is Hasbro. That's going in the other direction. After warning of weak results for Christmas and saying it underperformed in its consumer products unit due to a challenging consumer environment, it is also cutting 15 percent of its workforce. Sadly, layoffs in corporate America just keep coming as the economy looks like it is turning south. And speaking of that, stock three is Bed Bath & Beyond. That stock down again this morning after selling off more than 20 percent yesterday Bed Bath & Beyond saying it has defaulted on its credit line with J.P. Morgan Chase, warning once again of a potential bankruptcy That stock at $2.55. All right, still on deck. Artificial intelligence making waves in a very big way, from Capitol Hill to your favorite online quiz to what hopes to be a market-beating investment strategy. It is all part of your top trending stories, and it is next when WEX returns. Look at that. Hong Kong, it is nearly sundown. Their weekend is beginning. No doubt, with the reopening, there's a little fun being had there. In the streets and bars of Hong Kong, the world's longest escalators. All right, welcome or welcome back, everybody, and happy Friday. And unfortunately, we show you Hong Kong for a reason because there is a bit of troubling news out for the global economy. China is on the brink of maybe a second wave of mass COVID infections. All that following its week-long Lunar New Year celebrations. Everybody out, getting together, and there you go. And this could be yet another test of an already strained global supply chain. And some insiders are sounding the alarm. CNBC senior editor Lorianne LaRocco has been speaking with many of them and is here with more. Lorianne, what do we know?
6: Well, it's like a mixed bag. So some executives who manufacture in China tell me the biggest concern is the disruption of a COVID outbreak post Lunar New Year. But we're not alone in hearing this in a recent survey by Container X, which is a major platform for container logistics, 73 percent of supply chain professionals expect the Chinese New Year to disrupt the shipping industry. Now we have insight into the last COVID peak. Logistics managers tell me the spread was fast. It went through the plants within days, but the severity of the illness was not as bad, and employees were back to work within two weeks. Now we are debuting a brand new heat map for you to show the state of the supply chain out of China. Ocean freight orders have dropped 87% since June. This shows you the lack of demand by U.S. companies because of the bloated inventories. Current manufacturing orders are still down 40 percent. Now, we also have a new China heat map, which shows you the slowdown of trade at the ports and trucking as a result of the holiday. Now, all of this, Brian, points to delays of both spring and summer items.
1: I've I've never seen the the heat map, Lorianne, look so uniform. You got red and green. I mean, it's it's, usually it's kind of like all the different It's like a light bright. All right, what, what are, what kind of delays are shippers telling you that we may be in for?
6: Sure. So, well, what's going to happen is post Lunar New Year, we're going to have a staggered uh, return to work. So you're going to have uh, workers go the last week of February and the first week uh, of March back into the manufacturing. So this means that the earliest the products will get on the water will be late March, early April, and then it will arrive on U.S. shores by late April, early May.
1: That's it. Lorianne LaRocco with the exclusive CNBC heat map. And Lorianne, I guess, guess, listen, you know, COVID, the waves, whatever, you know, neither of us is, you know, epidemiologists as far as I know. But it does look like maybe this time is different after start and stop and start and stop. It seems like they're getting back on track quicker than they were. I mean, is that a fair statement?
6: Oh, it's most definitely a fair statement. And, and folks that I've talked about are just pressing and leaning in on how it's a, it's a more mild form of COVID. And so they know that with the economy, they have to get back to work. They have to start fulfilling these orders yeah. or you're going to see more companies leave the country.
1: That's it. All right. Uh, China News, something to watch in the near term. Love the heat map. Always love talking ports and shipping. Lorianne, thank you. Have a great day. You too. All right, let's step outside of the world of money and business. I get to check on some of this morning's other key headlines that are happening now. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with those. Francis.
7: Hi, Brian. Good morning. We begin this morning in Memphis, where the city's law enforcement officials are bracing for the public's reaction to the video showing Tyree Nichols being beaten by five Memphis officers. The footage will be released today at 7 p.m. Eastern. Nichols was hospitalized and died three days after the traffic stop. All five officers were indicted on murder charges Thursday. The U.S. military has taken out a top ISIS leader in Somalia. U.S. officials say the raid killed Bilal al-Sudani and 10 ISIS fighters in the mountains of northern Somalia. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said al-Sudani guided the growth of ISIS in Africa and its funding worldwide, including Afghanistan. And finally, the mayor of Cincinnati presented a special honor to some of the people who helped save the life of Damar Hamlin. Mayor Aftab Piraval gave the city or gave a key to the city to the team that treated Hamlin after he suffered cardiac arrest during a game earlier in this month. The mayor was at the game, and he said he is grateful for the heroic efforts of doctors, nurses, and all the staff at the UC Medical Center. Brian, so we know the Bills season ended last week. Heartbreaking, but still the best news to come from the team is DeMar Hamlin's recovery, how he continues to get better.
1: Uh, yeah, absolutely. At the game and the heroes that saved his life for 24 minutes of CPR all in. France Rivera, thank you very much. Heartwarming story. All right, as we had to break, let's take a look at shares of the massive Indian company called Adani Group. There are a number of different companies. All the stocks are down for a second straight day. If you're not following this, you should beat them. The research firm Hindenburg Research announcing a short position earlier this week, but moreover, claiming that Adani Group's founder and chairman, who is also the third, or was, the third richest man in the world, is pulling, quote, the largest con in corporate history. Basically called all the numbers, not fraudulent, but close to it. And just last night, investor Bill Ackman piling on, calling Hindenburg's research into Adani, quote, highly credible and extremely well-researched. This is the $50 billion fight you should be paying attention to. Stocks are all down. And we are back right after this. Caution ahead. A growing number of companies signaling a tougher road coming. Markets gearing up for more results. Close out the week. Chevron's numbers out soon coming off that blockbuster stock buyback and dividend announcement. One that ticked off the White House. I'll tell you what to watch for. And we are staying in the energy patch. The sector's red-hot run in the last year. Could fuel a new round of deals and acquisitions. We'll tell you where. On this Friday, January 27th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Oh, welcome or welcome back. And good Friday morning, everybody. How you doing? I'm Brian Sullivan. It is right around 530 a.m. here on the East Coast. And here's how stock futures and your money are shaping up. And we are a little bit lower across the board. Not a lot, but we are down a little red on the screen. Dow futures, they are down about 21 points. Nasdaq, the bigger decline are off about 54 despite that. And we'll see how today goes. But overall, another pretty good week for your investments with the big averages up between two And 3%. Maybe here's an RBI for you. The Dow and the S&P on pace for their third positive week in the last four. But the Nasdaq looking to make it four up weeks in a row. A very nice run for big tech. Also a nice run for oil lately. It has been on the rise. Oil is back to $82 a barrel. China demand recovers. The SPR sales sort of sugar high wearing off. Gasoline prices also rising around America. Oil at $81.92, hit 82 just a couple of moments ago. And let's stay on energy, because shares of Chevron are up again. This as Chevron announcing a gigantic $75 billion buyback and raising its dividend by 6%. All that comes ahead of Chevron's fourth quarter earnings that are out at 7 o'clock this morning. Now, overall, the averages that analysts expect profit growth of nearly 70% with sales up 9% to about $52.7 billion. Let's find out what else is key to watch and bring in Baraj Bokataria. He's head of European energy research at RBC Capital Markets and lead analyst on integrated energy companies. Baraj, uh, thanks for joining us once again. What are you watching for most closely with Chevron?
3: I think overall, you get a a solid set of numbers. Obviously, we're coming off a very, very strong uh, third third quarter. So we get a bit of moderation in the macro there. But overall, I think in the context of Chevron's history, extremely strong results. Um, I think the announcement yesterday on the dividend was was largely expected. Uh, The surprise factor was was the big buyback program. And the key question for us is, what's the cadence of this $75 billion? Uh, Because if we're assuming this is done over five years, as an example, That's fifteen billion dollars a year. That's the top end of Chevron's prior plans, Um, and ultimately, that means that their upside case is becoming the the base case uh, from a macro standpoint.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm not going to ask you to dive into the nasty world of American politics barrage, but Chevron taking some heat about the buyback. Why aren't these companies investing more? In CapEx. Yeah, it's up two billion over last year, but still down from 40 billion in 2013 to, I think, 17 or 17 and a half. Correct me if I'm wrong. Billion for this year. Is there just a dearth of opportunities to grow profitable production? Or if not,
3: what is it? Yeah, I guess sitting in London, I can uh, make a few comments with a bit margin of, uh, of safety from American politics. But I think there's, there's two points I'd like to make. The first one is they both Exxon and Chevron are growing in U.S. oil production, uh, both spending growth capex and and growing the Permian 10 to 15 percent per annum, and that will continue into 2023. Um, And that is ultimately a growth rate that's faster than oil demand is growing globally. So that should be a positive sign. The second thing is, you know, if you'd lined up Chevron or Exxon's top 20 shareholders, I would imagine 15 of them would say, actually, don't want, we don't want you to spend more in growth capex because we've seen how that story ends in uh, pretty much every uh, oil and gas cycle uh, through history. And so we want you to be disciplined. And ultimately, that is being rewarded by the market. So a little bit of growth is okay, and that's what they're doing. Um, but I think they're doing what, they, what the shareholders want them to do, which is be disciplined, don't chase high oil prices, uh, and stick to the plan.
1: You know, here's, and let's, let's you and I, don't tell anybody, Barrage, but here's kind of the little secret about Chevron. We always talk about oil and gasoline, but Chevron has kind of quietly become this liquefied natural gas big player, right? With their Gorgon project, how big is LNG been and how big do you think it can be for Chevron?
3: it's uh so so actually relative to the some of the European integrated companies it's smaller, but it's still a meaningful cash generator for Chevron and the they assets that they have are uh, performing extremely well uh in Australia, and that's been a very uh, significant source of, of profits this year as you're looking forward, uh, I guess the hesitation from Chevron's standpoint is if you if you think about the projects they've executed Angola LNG, then gorgon and Wheatstone they've all had uh issues in terms of execution, so I think they've been a bit more cautious so the last five years. Uh, you've seen them do, uh, so I would argue with lower risk growth strategy in terms of being an off-taker out of the U.S. Uh, if you look at their portfolio, they're growing I mean, uh oil production, which means there'll be more gas production that we have, and they need to find an outlet for that. Uh, and so growing uh, as an off-taker of LNG out of the Gulf Coast is a very sensible way of increasing the LNG exposure. I think when you listen to management, this is, seems like an area that they want to Uh, increased exposure to over the medium term, given the the strong demand dynamics for LNG.
1: A A lot of positives coming around Chevron. You've got a 170 target stocks above that barrage. So why aren't you more bullish on Chevron stock right here?
3: So I, I guess I'm looking at it in, the, in a global context, and, and it does screen expensive relative to some of its peers. Um, and so our fundamental preference over the long term is has been Exxon. The two uh, differentiators here. The first one is we think Exxon has a, a stronger hopper in the oil and gas business with Guyana, with Golden Pass, and, and some exposure to Qatari LNG. Uh, and the second thing is Exxon has exposure to uh, refining. And that's an area we've been particularly positive on in 2022 uh, and we think that continues through 2023. The D- distillate market is extremely tight. You obviously are seeing some uh, impacts from uh, recessionary forces. Uh, we expect that market to remain tight for some time.
1: Baraj Bocatari on Chevron. Those numbers out in just over an hour's time. Baraj, you know got a busy day. We appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, let's, uh, you're welcome. Let's stay with energy deal making and oil and gas down last year in an otherwise big year for the stocks. Now deal making still below pre-COVID levels, but that might be about to change. Pippa Stevens back with more on a potential boom in deals within energy. Pippa, what'd you find out?
2: Well, Brian, after a lackluster 2022, we could see a jump in M&A activity this year. U.S. upstream M&A falling 13% year over year during 2022, according to new data from Enverus. Total deal count, total deal value came in at $58 billion across 160 deals, which was the lowest level since 2005. But now energy companies are seeing record cash flows. And with healthy balance sheets, acquisitions could become more attractive. This is especially true for companies that want to grow, but haven't been able to grow organically. Deloitte surveyed executives across the energy industry on what could drive M&A activity in 2023. High and stable energy prices was the most popular response at 27 percent. Production and cost synergies, as well as attractive valuations and asset prices also cited. But Andrew Dittmar from Enveris said we'll likely see a shift in the types of deals with fewer but larger transactions. He added that E&P companies have finally proven they can make money. And the next question is, how many years of high-quality inventory do they have? But in the meantime, Brian, the global upstream industry is forecast to post a record $1.4 trillion in free cash flow for 2022. And you got to do something with that money.
1: Or do a sti- stock buyback and get yelled at by the White House. <laughs> Either way, Pippa... What kind of deals specifically should we kind of be watching out for? What's going to happen?
2: Well, I think on one side, we might see more activity in the small caps. They might have, say, five years of top-tier inventory left. And so they might look to the private side for some of those acquisitions. And that might line up with private equity companies that have been in the space and are now uh, looking to shed some some of those assets. And then also the low-carbon solutions businesses might be another area to watch. We saw last year that Chevron uh, acquired a natural gas, a renewable natural gas company. BP closed on its Arkea transaction So that might be another way for companies to say we are we are cutting our emissions while putting some of that cash they have on hand uh, to good use.
1: All right, Pippa, great story there. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, on deck on this Friday, we're going to dive into one of the best performing sectors not named energy. Mr. Dominic Chu is in. He'll lay out this other top performer and how it's holding up this year. But here's a quick rundown of some other trending stories and a special artificial intelligence edition. Congressman Jake Achencloss delivering a speech on the House floor this week using ChatGPT. The Massachusetts Democrats saying he prompted the system to write 100 words for the House, but that he did have to refine the prompt several times to produce the final two paragraph speech. Also happening, BuzzFeed planning to rely on ChatGPT to create its online content make it better. Buzzfeed CEO saying in a memo to staff, he expects the software to play a larger role in the entire company's editorial and business operations this year. Ouch. Speaking of, and maybe some good news that computers aren't quite yet ready to take over the world, ChatGPT failed, sort of, at creating an ETF to beat the stock market. According to a recent exercise by Bloomberg, the AI tool actually, and maybe smartly, said the market is simply too predictable to guarantee future results and that investments should be selected based on individual goals and risk-taking appetites. Apparently, ChatGPT has been having drinks with registered investment advisors. We're back after this. All right, welcome and welcome back, everybody. Good Friday morning. It is time to get domed out and some sectornomics. Because while energy got all the investor love last year, don't forget about the companies that actually use much of that energy. Utilities, they were actually the second best performing group last year. But that was so last year. What are people saying this year? Dom Chu is here to
8: look at this month's sectornomics. they've lost a bit of steam, Brian, as of late, because typically these utility companies have been seen as income paying instruments. Right. They pay heftier dividends than average over the overall stock market. And so for that reason, as interest rates go higher and people can make more money on bond investments, they tend to shy maybe a little bit more away from some of these types. But they have been outperformers. But let's take a look at just the reason why people look at this. Now, utilities are by no means an influence on the market. They're small. They're about 5%, rather 3% of the overall S&P 500. No, only materials and real estate are, are less in terms of weighting. Energy is about 5%, but remember, the big behemoth is technology. So even with the energy run that we've seen, it's still technology five times bigger than energy and roughly, you can say, about seven times bigger than utilities overall. So the sector weighting is important here. When it comes to what influences the sector overall, it's just a handful of stocks that really make up the sector. There's a lot of names in there, but Nextera Energy is the biggest one. It's 15% of the overall portfolio. Duke Energy is roughly eight. Southern Company around seven. And then Dominion and Sempra Energy about 5% each. So all together, these are 40% of the overall S&P 500 utility sector. Nextera is the biggest one out of all of them by far. And let's home in on what's happening with Nextera, because it is a $150 billion utility company, and it has been an outperformer over the overall utility sector, Spider. You can see they're almost double that performance. And Nextera is a big reason why that utility sector performs the way it does. Check this out. $151 billion, largest weighting in the overall sector, 71% of analysts say buy, buy. None say sell. The average price target is $94.18. That implies roughly 23% upside if those analysts are correct. And the dividend yield is below market, believe it or not, 2.2% because, Brian, so many people have considered NextEra one of their best picks in the sector. They've bid up the stock price enough where that yield has come down a little bit more. So we'll keep it on NextEra, Brian. I'll send things back over to you.
1: You're you're like a heart song. You're the magic man on that Telestrader. I can't make sense. You, somehow you write, and it actually is is legible. I have I, when I write, it's like a chicken scratch. Anyway, Nextera Energy. If we had an RBI and we don't today, I would say it's the former Florida Power and Light. That's right, a boring FPL. old utility, we, which is now the largest renewables producer in the United States. All right. That said, Dom, you are a former fund manager, utilities are the closest thing to bonds we have. What are you hearing? What are you reading about why we would own? They don't grow. They get a nice dividend. Is that a true safety play? Or because of renewables, maybe there's something else now.
8: Not necessarily. I mean, so safety is a relative term in the markets, right? So when we talk about safety, yes, they're less volatile, perhaps, than other parts of the market. Certainly, if you look at places like technology, communication services, Consumer discretionary, they've been a little bit more stable on that front. But as you point out, they've typically been viewed as income-producing instruments. And for that reason, some portfolio managers and investment advisors will use allocations there to get some kind of income with the stock-like exposure. The one thing I will point out, though, dividends are a big part of that story. But there's only a handful of stocks in the index now that have dividends that are above the overall sector but have still had price performance that was positive over the course of the near and medium term. By the way, Brian, that's a great way to tee it up because coming up in Squawk Box, we're going to take a look at the biggest dividend payers in the sector that still have a relative amount of price performance on their balance sheet, if you will. So we'll see how that happens later on in Squawk Box.
1: Yeah, and you're not not going to tell us. It's called a tease. You're going to make us wait. (laughs) Just about 45 minutes. That's why we love you. Hey, Dom. Good luck to your 49ers this
8: weekend, my friend. I'm, 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 a, little nerv- I'm a little nervous, Brian, but I, 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 I got to be faithful. I got to be faithful to the Bay, right? So,
1: Only be nervous. Are you going to the game?
8: I would say only be nervous if you're going in 49ers gear to the link. I'm are not, you going? I'm not going to the link. I mean, I could just stop at your house on the way down there. It's kind of, you know, you're, you're pretty close down towards Philly. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, maybe I'll swing by. You don't want Kramer to, like, throw some pretzels at you. No, 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 no. Dom No, no, not at all. No,
1: no, <laughs> don't talk to Jim. You give him 48 hours. Give him 48 hours. Dom, thank you very much. You all it. right. On deck. Lizzie Evans is here to try to make sense of the tea leaves from companies and the consumer. And if you have not already, just a, rem- a nudge, please follow our podcast on all the major podcasting platforms. We're back. Dow Features down. 22. We're after this. All right, welcome back and good Friday morning. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. First up, it is going to be a nasty day for Intel shareholders, but a nasty run. Stocks sinking down nearly 10%. Look at that. Well, it's off 9.2%. They whiffed on expectations for the fourth quarter. And they forecast that another weak quarter ahead, CEO Pat Gelsinger saying the chip maker is facing weaker product demand due to the slumping PC market. A lot of questions to be answered of what's going on at Intel. On the flip side, Visa is up after beating earnings. Credit card up, toys down. Hasbro warning of weak holiday results, citing a slowdown in its consumer product division due to dropping demand. Why is there dropping demand for toys? Anyway, they're also announcing a major round for layoffs. In the meantime, Elliott Management prepping to nominate a slate of directors at Salesforce. That, according to reports, Salesforce stock down 1%. KLA shares sinking on disappointing revenue guidance for the fourth quarter. Chipmaker saying that it does expect customers to use up existing inventory. Demand thus will slow. That stock is down. Are you seeing a trend of all this? Oh, and by the way, sadly, New Jersey-based Bed Bath & Beyond warning. It does not have enough cash to pay down its debts. And it has defaulted on its credit line with J.P. Morgan Chase. That stock up a little bit right now, but overall, keeps falling to two and a half bucks. Trading halts constantly. Become a trader favorite. The company basically saying they're going out of business. Be careful if you're trading BVBY. All right, gearing up for the trading day ahead, we get personal income, consumer spending, and core PCE figures. That's actually a Fed favorite. All out today at 8.30 this morning. The pending home sales data is out at 10 a.m. Got a lot of earnings for a Friday, actually. Got American Express, what could be monster numbers out of Chevron, and Colgate-Palmolive all releasing their numbers. We're also watching the Tesla shareholder lawsuit against Elon Musk, which continues today. And the European Banking Authority is launching a stress test of banks in the region. Results for those tests will be published later on this year. I know you can't wait. All right. Meantime, investors still digesting what was a pretty lousy afternoon Thursday when it comes to corporate guidance from Intel to Hasbro, just the latest companies laying out ongoing issues when it comes to technology and the consumer. But yet the stock market has had a great start to the year. Let's try to put the puzzle together with Lizzie Evans, managing partner at Evans May Wealth Management. Lizzie, thanks for getting up early out there in Indiana. We appreciate it. I don't know what's going on. Corporations coming out warning, cutting, laying off, and stocks are going up. Please make sense of it for me.
5: Good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me and congrats on your new show That's a big deal um, we you know we we're Thank having you. a lot of a lot of questions from clients recently is you know our, since the first of the year we've seen growth stocks really take off is is this a short-term rally or is, is growth where you want to be? And, you know, we think that really this is a, a short-term rally. You, you're seeing, Brian, you bet, know better than anyone. We're in the midst of earnings season. We're seeing a lot of revisions downward. Um, that coupled with the Fed's steadfast path to tightening, I think we're going to have a tremendous amount of volatility. But, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. I think that we end the year higher than where we are today. I think we have positive returns in equities. I think we have positive returns in bonds. And I really think that the winners of the market today and the market of the future look a lot different than the winners of the past.
1: Yeah, by the way, I I do appreciate that. Thank you, Lizzie. But you know, the market's right. It feels like, like, to your point, it feels like that last bite of dessert. You know, you don't need it, but you want it. And then you eat it, and then you're like, why did I do that? I kind of feel like that's how the market is right now. Like, it's, I I can't square the strength to say, you know, let's throw a bunch of new money at it, right? I mean, what are you advising clients to do right now?
5: Well, that's so right, Brian. I mean, behaviorally, you – People want to go back into where they've made money, and and so I think we're getting a little bit of a January effect there. But if you look at if you look at the market, there are certain parts of the market that are in a bull market. I think that value will continue to outperform, and there are some. Some companies that have a nice dividend yield that are trading at a historically cheap multiple that are having earnings growth. So I think that that's where you want to be if you're an income produce, or if you're an income client. I think for the first time in a long time, bonds are looking attractive. So I think from an equity standpoint, you want to look for value. And I think um, bonds for the first time in a long time, we're, we're actually starting to add to bond allocations.
1: You know, all these shows like Yellowstone in 1880 something, What they're all the rage, Lizzie. I feel like we're living in the past and kind of from an investing perspective, it's weird because mining is like the hot new thing, right? To make all these, you know, zero emissions <laughs> engines, you got to use a lot of emissions digging stuff out of the dirt in the middle of Australia. Is that a reason you like Rio Tinto?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at Rio Tinto, it's commodities and materials. So that's a sector that we like. Um, Rio's trading at nine times forward earnings. It's paying a 7%, has a 7% dividend yield. And Brian, take a look at the chart. The chart from a technical standpoint has a very strong setup. You've seen some consolidation, a break to the upside. Um, you know, the 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 new Rio, if you will, post COVID has a shareholder friendly capital allocation model. Um, if certainly Rio will do well as China reopens. So with Rio, you get it, you get a 7% yield. You have some international exposure there. And then I think from a technical standpoint, it's really set up to do well.
1: What's the next big thing you are watching from a macro perspective, Lizzie? What's next on your radar?
5: Yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot of uh, big reports coming out, certainly the Fed uh, the Fed is somewhat of a lagging indicator, looking at lagging indicators. So I think that we need really for the market to have a full bull market going forward. We need to have certainty on where peak rates are and, and when rate cuts stop. So I think that we're um, getting closer to that. I expect we'll see 25 basis points in February, but we're going to have to continue to uh, slug our way through the, these reports to really, for, for the Fed to have the data to make that decision.
1: All right, Lizzie Evans, Evans May Wealth Management out there in Carmel, Indiana. Heartland, sort of the heartland of America. Lizzie, Colts need a quarterback. We'll talk about that next time. Lizzie, thank you very much. All right, folks, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange for a Friday. I am off on Monday. I will see you here on Tuesday. All kinds of earnings coming out. Stock futures down. Oil is up. You have a spectacular weekend, everybody. Please, Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m.
7: Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.